0: Chapters 10 and 11 of Book 1 of Les Misérables, Volume 3, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Ringeth Les Misérables, Volume 3, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book First. Paris studied in its atom. Chapter 10. Ecce Paris, Ecce Homo. To sum it all up once more, the Paris gammon of today, like the Greculus of Rome in days gone by, is the infant populace with the wrinkle of the old world on his brow. The gammon is a grace to the nation, and at the same time a disease. A disease which must be cured how? By light. Light renders healthy. Light kindles. All generous social irradiations spring from science, letters, arts, education. Make men. Make men. Give them light that they may warm you sooner or later the splendid question of universal education will present itself with the irresistible authority of the absolute truth. And then, those who govern under the superintendence of the French idea will have to make this choice. The children of France, or the gamins of Paris? Flames in the light, or will-o'-the-wisps in the gloom? The gamin expresses Paris, and Paris expresses the world. For Paris is a total. Paris is the ceiling of the human race. The whole of this prodigious city is a foreshortening of dead manners and living manners. He who sees Paris thinks he sees the bottom of all history, with heaven and constellations in the intervals. Paris has a capital, the town hall, a Parthenon, Notre-Dame, a Mount Aventine, the Faubourg Saint-Antoine, an Asinarium, the Sorbonne, a Pantheon, the Pantheon, a Via Sacra, the Boulevard des Italiens, a Temple of the Winds, Opinion, and it replaces the Gemoni by ridicule. Its majo is called Feroad, its transvestrin is the man of the Faubourgs, its Hamal is the market porter, its Lazarone is the Pegre, its Cockney is the native of Ghent. Everything that exists elsewhere exists at Paris. The fishwoman of Du Marseille can retort on the herb-seller of Euripides. The disco-ball's Janus lives again in the Forioso, the tightrope dancer. Thera Tagonus Miles could walk arm in arm with Vaudboncourt the grenadier. Damasippus, the second-hand dealer, would be happy among bric-a-brac merchants. Vonsaine could grasp Socrates in its fist as just as Agora could imprison Diderot. Grimaud de la Reyniere discovered larded roast beef as Curtillus invented roast hedgehog. We see the trapeze which figures in Plautus reappear under the vault of the Arc of l'Etoile. The sword-eater of Poecilus encountered by Opulius. Is a sword swallower on the Pont Neuf. The nephew of Rameau and Curculio the Parasite make a pair. Ergasilus could get himself presented to Combisseres by Dagrife. The four dandies of Rome, Alcacimarchus, Phodromus, Diabolus, and Argarippus, descend from Curti in Labatu's posting chaise. Aulus Gellius would halt no longer in front of Congrio than would Charles Naudier in front of Puccinello. Marto is not a tigress, but Pardalisca was not a dragon. Pantalebus the wag, jeers in the Café Anglais at Nomentanus, the fast liver. Hermogenus is a tenor in the Champs-Élysées, and round him Thracius, the beggar, clad like Bobette, takes up a collection. The boar who stops you by the button of your coat in the Tuileries makes you repeat after a lapse of two thousand years Thesprion's apostrophe. Quis properanthem me prehendit palio. The wine on Cyrene is a parody of the wine of Alba. The red border of De Sauguer forms a balance to the great cutting of Bellatro. Père Lachaise exhales beneath nocturnal rains some gleams at the Esquiliei, and the grave of the poor bought for five years, is certainly the equivalent of the slave's hived coffin. Seek something that Paris has not. The vat of Trophonius contains nothing that is not in Mesmer's tub. Ergaphylus lives again in Cagliostro. The Brahmin Vesaphanta becomes incarnate in the Comte de Saint-Germain. The cemetery of Saint-Médard works quite as good miracles, as the mosque of Umumi at Damascus. Paris has an Aesop, Mayu, and a Canidia, Mademoiselle Lanormande. It is terrified, like Delphos, at the fulgurating realities of the vision. It makes tables turn as Dodona did tripods. It places the grisette on the throne, as Rome placed the courtesan there. And, taking it all together, if Louis the fifteenth is worse than Claudian, Madame Dubarry is better than Messalina. Paris combines in an unprecedented type, which has existed and which we have elbowed, Grecian nudity, the Hebraic ulcer, and the Gascon pun. It mingles Diogenes, Job, and Jack pudding, dresses up a spectre in old numbers of the Constitutional, and makes Chaudruc du Clos. Although Plutarch says the tyrant never grows old, Rome, under Scylla as under Domitian, resigned itself and willingly put water in its wine. The Tiber was a lethe, if the rather doctrinary eulogium made of it by Verus Fibiscus is to be credited. Contra Gracchus Tiberim Habemus, vibere Tiberim, id est seditionem oblivisci. Paris drinks a million litres of water a day, but that does not prevent it from occasionally beating the general alarm and ringing the toxin with that exception. Paris is amiable; it accepts everything royally. it's not too particular about its Venus. its calipige is Hottentot, provided that it is made to laugh, it condones ugliness cheers it, deformity provokes it to laughter. Vice diverts it. Be eccentric you may be an eccentric. Even hypocrisy, that supreme cynicism, does not disgust it. It is so literary that it does not hold its nose before Basile, and is no more scandalized by the prayer of Tartuffe than Horace was repelled by the hiccup of Priapus. No trait of the universal face is lacking in the profile of Paris. The Balmobile is not the polymnia dance of the Janiculum. But the dealer and ladies wearing apparel there devours the Lorette with her eyes, exactly as the Procurus Stephila lay in wait for the virgin Planicium. The Berrière du Combat is not the Colosseum, but people are as ferocious there as though Caesar were looking on. The Syrian hostess has more grace than Mother Saguet, but if Virgil haunted the Roman wine shop, Davidanger, Balzac, and Charlet have sat at the tables of Parisian taverns. Paris reigns. Geniuses flash forth there. The red tails prosper there. Adonai passes on his chariot with its twelve wheels of thunder and lightning. Silenus makes his entry there on his ass. For Silenus read Rampano. Paris is the synonym of cosmos. Paris is Athens, Sybaris, Jerusalem spontane. All civilizations are there in an abridged form. All barbarisms also. Paris would greatly regret it if it had not a guillotine. A little of the Place de Grève is a good thing. What would all that eternal festival be without this seasoning? Our laws are wisely provided, and thanks to them the blade drips on this shrove tuesday chapter 11 to scoff to reign there's no limit to paris no city has had that domination which sometimes derides those whom it subjugates to please you o athenians exclaimed alexander paris makes more than the law it makes the fashion Paris sets more than the fashion, it sets the routine. Paris may be stupid if it sees fit. It sometimes allows itself this luxury. Then the universe is stupid in company with it. Then Paris awakes, rubs its eyes, says, How stupid I am, and bursts out laughing in the face of the human race. What a marvel is such a city! It is a strange thing that this grandioseness and this burlesque should be amicable neighbors. That all this majesty should not be thrown into disorder by all this parody, and that the same mouth can today blow into the trump of the judgment day, and to morrow into the reed flute. Paris has a sovereign joviality, its gaiety is of the thunder, and its farce holds a scepter. Its tempest sometimes proceeds from a grimace, its explosions, its days, its masterpieces, its prodigies, its epics, go forth to the bounds of the universe, and so also do its cock-and-bull stories. Its laugh is the mouth of a volcano which spatters the whole earth. Its jests are sparks. It imposes its caricatures as well as its ideal on people. The highest monuments of human civilization accept its ironies and lend their eternity To its mischievous pranks. It is superb. It has a prodigious fourteenth of July, which delivers the globe. It forces all nations to take the oath of tennis. Its night of the fourth of August dissolves in three hours a thousand years of feudalism. It makes of its logic the muscle of unanimous will. It multiplies itself under all sorts of forms of the sublime. It fills with its light Washington, Kosciusko. Bolivar, Bozaris, Riego, Bem, Manon, López, John Brown, Garibaldi. It is everywhere where the future is being lighted up. At Boston in 1779, at the Isle de Leon in 1820, at Pest in 1848, at Palermo in 1860, it whispers the mighty countersign, Liberty. In the ear of the American abolitionists grouped about the boat at Harper's Ferry, and in the ear of the patriots of Ancona assembled in the shadow, to the Archi before the Gauci Inn on the seashore, it creates Canary, it creates Quiroga, it creates Pisacan, it irradiates the great on earth. It was while proceeding whither its breath urged them that Byron perished at Missolonghi, and that Mazat died at Barcelona. It is the tribune under the feet of Mirabeau, and a crater under the feet of Robespierre. Its books, its theatre, its art, its science, its literature, its philosophy, are the manuals of the human race. It has Pascal, Regnier, Corneille, Descartes, Jean-Jacques, Voltaire for all moments, Molière for all centuries. It makes its language to be talked by the universal mouth and that language becomes the word. It constructs in all minds the idea of progress, the liberating dogmas which it forges are for the generation's trusty friends, and it is with the soul of its thinkers and its poets that all heroes of all nations have been made since 1789. This does not prevent vagabondism, and that enormous genius which is called Paris, while transfiguring the world by its light, sketches in charcoal Bouginier's nose on the wall of the temple of Theseus, and writes Credville the thief on the pyramids. Paris is always showing its teeth. When it is not scolding, it is laughing. Such is Paris. The smoke of its roofs forms the ideas of the universe. A heap of mud and stone, if you will. But, above all, a moral being. It is more than great. It is immense. Why? Because it is daring. To dare, that is the price of progress. All sublime conquests are, more or less, the prizes of daring in order that the revolution should take place, it does not suffice that Montesquieu should foresee it, that Diderot should preach it, that Beaumarchais should announce it, that Condorcet should calculate it, that Errouet should prepare it, that Rousseau should premeditate it. It is necessary that Danton should dare it. The cry, Audacity, is a fiat lux. It is necessary, for the sake of the forward march of the human race, that there should be proud lessons of courage permanently on the heights. Daring deeds dazzle history, and are one of man's great sources of light. The dawn dares when it rises. To attempt, to brave, to persist, to persevere, to be faithful to one's self, to grasp fate bodily, to astound catastrophe by the small amount of fear that it occasions us, now to affront unjust power, again to insult drunken victory, to hold one's position, to stand one's ground, that is the example which nations need, that is the light which electrifies them. The same formidable lightning proceeds from the torch of Prometheus to Cambrone's short pipe. End of Book 1, Chapter 11 Recording by Adam Rengith